Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. Hello, dear listeners. You are stuck with just me today. It's just Alyssa over here, and we are about to get pretty personal. So strap in because we are going to be talking about some lessons uh, learned from healing from a decade of doing this work, both on a personal level and for the last five or six years on a professional level as well. So let's jump right in. Number one, start small, but start some. If I could go back and tell myself one thing, this is probably going to be top of the list because you wouldn't believe how many times I have seen small changes lead to really meaningful improvements in people's life. Because I think what we have to remember sometimes is that the body wants to heal, right? You can call that a belief, you can call that superstition, but I've seen it time and time again that the body wants to heal. It's angling towards that and it wants the inputs and the support and the the inputs that are going to correct and sort of course correct that in the direction that you want to go. But your body, it's important to remember that your body is trying to be on your team. And I think it's really, really easy when you have uh, a history of chronic disease or you have any sort of chronic health struggle to start to feel like your body is working against you or like your body is the enemy or like it's something that you have to fight or put up with or withstand. And I think it's really easy to feel like that. And so as a counterpoint to that, dear listener, I offer to you that your body is on your team uh, and it wants the inputs and it wants the support. Uh, and the symptoms that you have oftentimes are its way of asking for that and telling you that something is wrong. So start small. It's okay to start small. Oftentimes in clinical work, I will walk, I will have folks start with some of these, what I would call low input remedies for the first period of their protocol, the things that you can kind of plug in without too much of a change in your routine and too much effort. Things like an herbal formula that, yeah, you have to remember to take every day, but like that's, that's pretty low effort when compared to an exercise routine or completely changing the way you cook or whatever. So we start with these low input remedies first because they increase our bandwidth in the beginning of you know our healing process without requiring too much of us. So they allow us to expand our bandwidth and expand our resource pool without asking too much of us. And what that does is it then it'll open up some space, inner resources and some time and energy for some of the larger shifts, which in my experience, the ones that require a little bit more input, a little bit more effort, a little bit more stick with it for a long period of time kind of thing would be your dietary shifts, your exercise routines, and some of the larger lifestyle shifts, boundaries and sleep routines and sleep hygiene and things like that sometimes require a little bit more, oftentimes require a little bit more of a shift in your me- your mindset, your routines. They require a lot more legwork. So sometimes we'll start with just those. It's like, we're not going to touch diet for a while. We're not going to touch your exercise routine. We are just going to add. We're just going to try an energy. We're just going to try and give you something that is not too difficult for you to incorporate into your existing life routine that's going to give you a little bit more bandwidth. So that would be number one. Start small, but start somewhere. The next one would be, I think it's really important to remember that health is 
This is a huge one, actually. Health is more than the absence of disease. This is the whole sort of physiological or like methodological underpinning of vitalism, which is something you encounter in the alternative healing space and the herbalism space. Vitalism or and or a related term salutogenesis is the idea that health is more than just not being sick. So what do I mean by that? I mean you can not have an outright diagnosis or not be in an outright state of advanced disease and still not feel like you are optimally healthy or still not feel your best or anything close to your best. And this is a space that I think is uh, really interesting and a space I work in a lot because the people who tend to find their way to me are the people that they've often been told by the allopathic or the conventional medicine you know, establishment that they're symptoms or their blood work or what have you doesn't qualify for it's not quote unquote bad enough to be uh, a state of outright disease for them to really be able to do anything about it via medication or surgery or the tools that conventional medicine has on hand. And I think that space is really underspoken to. And I think that was the space that I often existed in during my healing journey. I I was, I hear it all the time from clients. They're like, I know something's wrong. I know something's off. It's not right. It's not, I don't feel like I used to. I don't feel as good as I feel like I should be based on how I take care of myself. I do this, that, and the other thing. And this is a space that is underspoken to by the medical climate or the medical environment that we live in in the US. And it's a very real space. You might also call this like this where like uh, functional blood work comes in or functional levels of disease. You have this window between optimally healthy and outright disease. And that's a really important space to pay attention to. It's a space that deserves to be worked with and spoken to and listened to because health is more than just not having an outright disease. You can be not quite diabetic or not quite anemic or have not quite enough for the diagnosis of this, that, or the other mental health thing or sleep apnea or autoimmune disease or what have you and still feel like crap and still have it affect the quality of your life and still have it wear on you day after day. I know that when part of my healing journey was I was was pretty anemic for most of my life and it was never really caught because it was never bad enough, if you will, but it was bad enough to be affecting my quality of life. And I have distinct memories of the first time in my life, maybe eight years ago, of actually finding my way to the solution to that and remedying that for the first time in my life and being like, oh, this is what normal feels like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can work with this. Let's, yeah, let's do this instead. So I think it's important to speak to that. And I want you, dear listener, to know that I see you uh, if that's where you're at. And so many of the remedies related to this is this term that I mentioned a minute ago of salutogenesis, which is basically health promoting practices, right? That is the name of the game here at uh, Alabama Functional Herbalism and also at Move Nourish. That is absolutely the name of the game because the remedies that we choose to address health issues should not only be about correcting dysfunction or addressing symptoms or bringing someone back from a state of disease, an advanced disease state. That It's not that those things aren't important. It's not that those things aren't a part of medicine. Of course they are. But like conventional medicine has got that covered. Like they're really good at that. Drugs are really good at that. Surgery is good at that. They're, the, the mindset behind allopathic medicine is really good at that part. What they're not as good at and what they don't speak to in as much detail or give people enough structure or tools in a way that is actually 
quantitatively helpful for them to do something about it inside the day-to-day -day of their own lives is the salutogenic practices of health-promoting practices, right? What are the practices that are more geared towards promoting health than they are towards avoiding disease. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's a perfect, you know, example of this idea of salutogenic practices helping to make deposits in the bank instead of just things that stop making withdrawals. It's not just about not making withdrawals. It's about making deposits. Number three, the third thing I want to share with you that I have learned from my decade of doing healing work is that the kind of healing that lasts rarely happens without boundaries, without changes in boundaries. And this is especially true in the work that I do because I work with mostly women and femmes. And that concept can be really difficult for us because we are raised to believe that our value lies in our ability to take care of other people, sometimes often at the detriment or the neglect of our own care. So it can be really difficult for us to carve out the time, carve out the resources, say, yes, I'm going to go do this. Yes, I'm going to get this for myself. No, I'm not going to do that. You're going to have to do that, et cetera, et cetera, whether that's work or family or what have you. The people that I have seen make the biggest changes and make the most progress in our work together are the people that is a combination of factors, of course, but one of the characteristics of the folks that have the most success are the people that not only take all of their supplements and take all of their herbs and do all of their diet things and follow their movement plan and said all of those things, but they are also the people that embrace the idea that the way that they relate to themselves and the way that they show up for people other people deserves to be put under a magnifying glass as well and examined as well as part of the healing process. And if I were to list out the elements of one of the protocols that I give out to folks these days, oftentimes it's food, supplements, movement, boundaries, or the larger category of like lifestyle. But there is no healing that lasts without boundaries for most of my clients. And one of the biggest reasons for that is that there is no avoiding burnout without boundaries. So if your boundaries aren't solid, you will encounter burnout again and again and again. And you might yo-yo through cycles or roller coaster through cycles where they get better or worse, but there is no avoiding burnout without boundaries. Okay, the next one, number four, is uh, a little bit more tangible, more of a tangible takeaway, more of a specific takeaway. And that would be if you don't know where to start, like you don't know where to start with what's wrong with you, what's going on with you. If you don't know where to start, improve your digestion and then and your nervous system response and your nervous system resilience and everything else will improve. Now, caveats, of course, because I am the queen of caveats. Will that fix everything? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that's all that you have to do. I'm saying that if you don't know where to start, pretty much everyone can benefit from some improvement and some support of their what herbalists call digestive fire. And all of us could use always some extra nervous system support, nervous system resilience. So as far as what you can do about that, digestion is a huge topic, right? People have a lot of different issues with digestion. Some of the most common ones I see are things like heartburn or IBS or constipation or bloating or gas or crampiness, discomfort, all the way down to gut-based autoimmune disorders. Without being able to know specifically what is going on with you, I can probably say 
that some digestive bitters with meals, some mindfulness around eating. So slowing down, sitting down to eat, smelling your food and letting your food be a full sensory experience. So like mindful eating and making sure that you are honestly drinking enough water to keep everybody hydrated would be a great place to start. Pretty much everybody could benefit from a combination of those three things. And if you think about it, right, our digestion is the biggest place where the outside interfaces with the inside of us. And so it's the one thing that we do for ourselves, most of us, multiple times a day. Food is the thing that we put into our bodies and our digestive system is the thing that has to capacitate inputs from the outside world more frequently and in greater quantities than just about anything else in that we encounter in our lives. So the potential for improvement there and the potential for support of that system that is having to do a lot of work is huge. And similarly with the nervous system. Who couldn't use a little extra nervous system support right now? Uh, if you say no, you're lying. So what do I mean by that? Make sure you're taking your magnesium. What are your stress management strategies and can those be improved? Are you sleeping enough? Are you allowing yourself to process and feel your emotion? All of those things contribute to nervous system resilience. And again, there are probably of the 200 plants that I work with on a regular basis, there's probably a uh, hundred of them, fully half of them are intended to interface with the nervous system in some way. Can I give you specifics? Uh, I can give you some ones that play well with a lot of people's issues. So things like lemon balm, things like chamomile, things like passion flower, those play well with pretty much everybody, including kiddos. So start with some of those. If you're looking to plug in some herbal support for your nervous system, start with some magnesium. Start with downtime, making sure that you are allowing yourself time. I always, I joke and call it like my time. I need to stare at the wall. Downtime where you schedule not doing anything is really important for your brain to consolidate and process through all of the shit that you are doing during the day. And then of course, sleep is really important for nervous system resilience and that's its own topic. But just to give you a focal point, right? Digestion and nervous system, digestion and stress response, if you focus in on those two things with your efforts to improve your health, you're you can't go wrong, basically. So Improve digestion, improve nervous system resilience, and everything else will improve. Again, caveat here is will that fix everything? Maybe not, but it's certainly not going to hurt. All right, number five, and this one is for my athletes and the athletically minded or the weekend warriors. I hate to break it to y'all, but you only get the gains from the training that you can recover from, period. So I'll put that another way. The limiting factor on your gains in the gym or in your sport, your gains are limited. The limiting factor on your gain usually is not how much you can, it's usually how much you can recover from. So the greater your capacity to recover from your training, the more gains you are going to get, period. And recovery is something that we go into in our episode on how movements should be recovery driven and detail what we mean when we say recovery. But your ability to shift your nervous system into a state of relaxation and safety uh, after whatever stressor, right? Because exercise is a stressor, but so is work, so is traffic, so is interpersonal conflict, et cetera, et cetera. So your ability to shift into a state of relaxation and safety following a stressor or as part of this sort of mosaic of your life, having the physical substrates in order to 
recover, having the nutrients, having the calories, having micronutrients, macronutrients, having enough, the example from the fitness world that everybody would know would be having enough protein, getting enough protein to repair the muscle tears that you're causing in the gym when you train. That's something that a lot of, particularly in my experience, women has struggled to hit their protein goal. So having the substrates, having the rest, being able to properly recover from your training is what is going to help you make gains, period. And last but not least, we probably should have started with this, but this is for the people who are seeking out a practitioner. If you are seeking out a practitioner to help you with uh, meeting your health goals, you need to make sure that practitioner's health plan meets a few minimum criteria. And I'll let you know what they are for me, if it were me, okay? A solid health protocol or a solid health plan should be all of the following. One, individualized. If this practitioner is making a cookie cutter plan or you're getting it off the internet and it's do this for 30 days and detox, whatever, if it's generic, it may work. You may see some gains from it. But in my opinion, if it's not individualized to you and that practitioner doesn't help you specifically with how to fit those things into your life, then you're not going to make the progress that you have the potential to make. Two, a solid health plan should be comprehensive. When I make protocols for people, I am taking into account all of the factors across their entire life. We talk about all of their stressors, all of the different aspects of our life, their work schedule, their home life. How much time do they have to cook? What sort of equipment do they have at home? What, are the, what sort of equipment do they have access to from a movement perspective? Do they have somewhere they can walk? Everything, right? So if your practitioner is only offering you one way of plugging in, I have not found that to be as conducive to the type of transformational healing that is possible when you plug in from multiple angles, whether that's diet and movement and lifestyle and boundaries and emotional health and therapy and all of the things. We plug in from all of those and we make massive leaps. We make massive progress. We just like improve by leaps and bounds. Okay. Three, a solid health plan should be scalable. You may not be able to bite off the whole thing right out of the gate and that's okay. And if your practitioner is not there to support you and help you in doing that, then they are not doing their job. Okay. Part of their job as a, your practitioner is to help you scale that protocol or that plan from what you can do right now to what the full wish list, if you will, is. Okay. So maybe you can only start with 10 to 15% of it. Maybe you can only start with one or two interventions until, like we mentioned earlier, until those things give you the bandwidth to reach for more. Okay. And if your practitioner is not helping you do that, then they're not doing their job. Lastly, a solid health plan should absolutely be measurable in some way. Now, does that need to be measurable like with super number, like statistical data? Not necessarily, but it can help, right? If you test blood work at the beginning and you test blood work at the end and the anemia is better, great. But there are also other ways to measure. One of the things I like to do with clients and I was taught to do with clients is you ask them periodically to rate the severity of their symptoms over time. And then you can compare that to what they said at the beginning to what they said at the end. So if your pain, if you are coming with, you know, chronic neck pain or you're coming with constipation and you rated that at that like an eight out of 10 when we first started working together. And then I, I asked you to rate it again two months later and you rate it at a four, right? Has it gone away all the way? Maybe not, but like that's a 50% improvement. That's a significant change in your symptoms. So 
in summary, a solid health plan from a practitioner in order to trust it, in order to make the type of transformational change that health plans are capable of, and I know that because I do it with people all the time, that health plan should be individualized, comprehensive, scalable, sustainable, and measurable. We forgot to talk about sustainable, but sustainable sort of speaks for itself. If you can't keep it up, what's the point? You're not gonna be able to do it. So if the full protocol is more than you can like even maintain physically, financially, mentally, then that's not a sustainable protocol. All right, dear listeners. So in summary, the too long don't read that I probably should have put at the beginning for you <laughs> is the greatest lesson. Some of the greatest lessons that I have learned from a decade of doing this work in healing is start small, but start somewhere. It's okay to start small and don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Burnout will happen if you do not have boundaries, period. It will happen over and over again. So there is no avoiding burnout without boundaries. You only get the gains from the training that you can recover from. So your recovery capacity should determine your training load 100% of the time because you're just simply, it's just pointless to do anything other than that. A solid health plan from a practitioner should be individualized, comprehensive, scalable, sustainable, and measurable. And if it's not, you are well within your rights to ask yourself why not. At the beginning of a healing program or a healing process or a period of a healing, it is okay and an oftentimes the best move to start with the low input remedies first for a period of time. So things that you can plug in like supplements or herbs or maybe meal prep kits, things like that, low effort first to build your resource pool, to build your bandwidth for the bigger, harder habit changes that require more legwork. If you do not know where to start, start with improving digestion and nervous system resilience and things will improve absolutely from there. Will it fix everything all the time? Probably not but you have nothing to lose because it can only help you. And health is more than just the absence of disease. So an ounce of presentation is worth a pound of cure, salutogenic practices to not only remove symptoms and remove disease and, and the things that are quote unquote wrong, but also to support the things that are right and support the self-correction response because your body, despite what it is perfectly understandable that if you believe this, but your body is, in fact, on your team. Thank you for listening. This has been the Move Nourish podcast with just Alyssa today. I will catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>